devoted my life to the discovery of the message that is at the heart of the Ministry of Grace Fellowship. Fourteen years ago, I was at the end of my life. I wanted to die. If God had uh, answered my prayer, I would have. I prayed I could. I didn't have the nerve to take my own life, but I thought about it. And I was so delighted to discover that uh, suicide was uh, the devil's uh, substitute for the message of the gospel, that you could die and live and have the best of both worlds. <laughs> and uh, I wish uh, I had known uh, of a minister like this 20, well, 34 years ago when I got saved. It has been supernaturally kept under wraps. And then for years I never heard it in any other, uh, in any other language than with an English leaning. I prayed one day I would hear it in pure American. I think you know what I mean. I, I heard it first from brethren across the sea. And uh, I'm glad that it jumped across the sea and came here. It's been here all along. I don't know why we haven't preached it, except the devil has supernaturally covered it up. I want to do so many things while I'm here. I, I better get down to business or I won't do anything. But I wanted to share with you something that I thought uh, was rather helpful and at the same time a bit amusing. You know, good times <clears throat> abound with lots of bad advice. I mean, when good times abound, everybody wants to be an advisor. And uh, this is sort of uh, typical in a poem that has been written that goes something like this. The proper way for men to pray, said Deacon Samuel Keyes, at least the best for me is down upon the knees. Oh, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise is standing straight with arms outstretched and wrapped in upturned eyes. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Slow. That posture is too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast closed and head serenely bowed. It seems to me his hands should be serenely clasped in front, both thumbs pointed toward the ground, said Reverend Dr. Blunt. I fell in Hitchkin's well the other day, head first, said Willie Brown. Both my feet was a-sticking up and my head was a-sticking down. I prayed a prayer right then and there. Best prayer I ever prayed. The prayingest prayer I ever said, I was standing on my head. And I would imagine that your discovery of the whole message of the cross came about when both of your feet was a-sticking up and your head was a-sticking down. <laughs> I hardly know of any other posture that you can find the truths of this message. Now, I want to share with you tonight a principle that has been as rewarding in my own life along the way as any principle I've discovered. And I confess to you that I discovered it way late, way late, almost at the end of my ministry as a pastor. 
My ministry would have been much, much better had I discovered it long before I left the pastor. So I want to talk with you tonight about <clears throat> the strength of weakness. The ability or the inability of folks to cope depends on an understanding and application of the principles of the Word of God. And you know full well, on whichever side of the counseling desk you've sat, that every bit of uncalled for, needless frustration has come because you've either not known a principle that ought to have been known and thus would have delivered you, or knowing it you forgot it, or knowing it you simply refuse to apply it in stubbornness. And I confess to you that I've suffered, I believe, as much needlessly in this area as in any area of my life. Now, there is going around, always there are going around, lots of lies in church. In fact, I thought a good while ago I'd, I'd preach a sermon on the subject, Lies Told in Church. Got thinking about it and saw I'd have to preach a series. Uh, one sermon wouldn't do it. Got thinking about a series and now I've decided to write a book. It'll take a book. But many lies find themselves into the curriculum of our thought. And the church suffers, and we suffer, and everybody suffers. Now, one of those lies is this. I have to be strong. God expects me to be strong. And if I don't perform in a manner proving me strong, God won't be, uh, he won't be pleased with me. God wants me to be strong. I must be strong. Now, believe it or not, every person here tonight has been victimized by believing that lie. In fact, some of you are still believing it. Because, you see, you judge yourself on an expectancy quotient. That somebody's built for you, or you've built for you, or the devil's built for you, and you judge yourself, and you believe that God agrees with everything you say about yourself, and that's the reason you're discouraged and miserable sometimes. And so if you don't live up to that imaginary expectancy quotient, then you're judged and you feel that God is angry at you and, and the whole of life breaks down. Well, you say, you, you mean we're not supposed to be strong? Well, there is one word in the Bible that says be strong, isn't there? It doesn't stop there, though, does it? It says be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And there's a great deal of a difference. The more you try to be strong, the less you'll know what it is to be strong in the Lord. Now, the thing I love about the Bible is its honesty. It's transparent honesty. We need to learn to be honest. You know, most of our society is geared to dishonesty. Church is geared to dishonesty. I mean, tonight, uh, there have been people dishonest. You need to repent over that all, already. You, you've been dishonest. Somebody walked up to you and said, uh, How are you doing? Or, How is everything? You didn't tell them. Well, you probably had good cause not to tell them. They really didn't want to know, and they were dishonest asking. I mean, if you, you think they really wanted to know, when they ask you how everything's going, instead of your saying, you know, what they expect you to say, oh, everything's going fine, which is not true if you're right with God. Did you hear me? I mean, if you're right with God, you're having trouble. In the world, you'll have tribulation. 
But the next time somebody walks up to you and says, how, are, how is everything going? You, you haul off and tell them, friend, you'll cure them. They won't ever ask you again. <laughs> I mean, uh, if, if you really want to start a conversation, get into the depths of the gospel, somebody walk up and say, how are you? How are you? Oh, I, I'm very weak, thank you. Just, just perfectly weak, thank you. Say, what? See, we're, we're not geared for honesty. Now, Paul is, uh, is giving us some honest response, and I, I love him for this. I, I praise God for this episode that is given us in the second Corinthian letter, chapter 12. I'm going to read... Uh, a sort of prayer, paraphrasing it, if you don't mind, about the first, uh, all the first ten verses. Second Corinthians chapter 12, 1 through 10. I am obliged to boast. It does no good, but I shall go on to tell of visions and revelations granted by the Lord. I knew a Christian man who 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of it, I don't know, God knows was caught up as far as the third heaven, and I know that this same man, whether in the body or out of it, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard words so secret that human lips may not repeat them. About such a man as that I am ready to boast, but I will not boast on my own account except of my weaknesses. Did you notice that? I will boast of my weaknesses or infirmities. If I should choose to boast, it would not be the boast of a fool, for I should be speaking the truth. But I refrain, because I should not like anyone to form an estimate of me which goes beyond the evidence of his own eyes and ears. And so, to keep me from being unduly elated by the magnificence of revelations, I was given a sharp physical pain, which came as Satan's messenger to bruise me, to buffet me. This was to save me from, doing, uh, from being unduly elated. Three times I begged the Lord to rid me of it. But his answer was, my grace is all you need. Power comes to its full strength and weakness. I shall therefore prefer to find my joy and pride in the very things that are my weaknesses. And then the power of Christ will come and rest upon me. Hence I am well content, for Christ's sake, with weaknesses, contempt, persecution, hardship, and frustration. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I want to guarantee you something. That uh, if... The impact of this principle has not found its way into your heart and does tonight. Uh, you're going to come to a new kind of liberty. I never will forget, years after I began to discover and entered into the truths of identification, I thought for a while all troubles were gone. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. However, after some time, I found out this wasn't heaven. And there was difficulty. Now, I had a problem. I didn't believe that folks who walked in victory were supposed to have problems. So I had two problems. I had problems, and I didn't think I was supposed to have problems. In reality, I had three problems. 
I had problems. I didn't think I was supposed to have problems, and I couldn't go to anybody because of that problem. <laughs> now, that'll fix you. And one day, I began to discover that other people were having problems too. Now, I, I realize this ought not to have made me glad, but just tickle me to death. <laughs> and I found out that when I had some liberty to share with them what I was going through, and they shared with me what uh, they were going through, there was a strange liberty. For instance, tonight, as you sit where you're sitting, you really don't want us to know some of the things you've been going through. A fuss you've had with your wife or husband or, or some little old silly thing that uh, somebody as wise and mature as you uh, just shouldn't get into. And uh, you, you just, uh, you, you would rather we not know that way down deep there's a hurt that you've never voiced to anybody. And I never will forget today, after years and years as the pastor of the church, I pastored the church for, for nearly 17 years, saw it grow from a baby to, to a, a, a monstrous church as far as size was, was concerned. And, and you know, I had the idea that a preacher ought to minister from his strengths. And, and I think that's true. But you see, when you minister only from your strengths, uh, you, you minister rather narrowly because you don't have all that many. And then you have to put on a, a juggling act to juggle your masks to keep people from finding out that you do have problems like every other human being. And if you're not careful, you'll get what a friend of mine calls a hernia of the soul juggling your masks. They'll be so heavy. And one day I just took off the mask, stood in my pulpit and said, Folks, I'm hurting. I've got problems. I need you. I never will forget the impact of that. My associate broke down and started bawling. And uh, we, we came to a new understanding. Now, I don't know. I have, not, uh, I have not had all that much counseling training. Maybe I ought to have a little more before I make a statement like this. But I rather doubt that uh, it will do the counselor hurt to give the counselee an understanding that uh, you're human too. I never will forget, a lady came to me one time, and I thought, you know, I was supposed to be God's little God to his people. And uh, I, just weren't, uh, I just wasn't supposed to have problems, so they'd come, and, you know, I'd sit there like... You have a problem. As if I'd never known anything about it, you know. And so a lady came to me one night at the close of a revival, happened to be the pastor's wife. She poured out to me the awfulest tale of woe. She had to juggle her mask. She said, I tell you honestly, I feel like quitting. I get sick and tired of being nice to all this bunch of people. And I'm tired of role playing. And, uh, and I, sometimes, I sometimes wonder if I'm saved at all. I'm just so godless. And she just poured out. I, I know she had never told anybody that before. And when she got through, she just, uh, you know, as, as often as done, she just balled up the whole thing, threw it in my lap as if to say, now what are you going to do about it? And for the first time in my life, I said something like this. You too, huh? <laughs> she said, what do you mean? I said, uh, you mean you have all these feelings too? She said... You, not, not you. you. You've written books, right? 
You, you preach the life, right? You mean, you, you've felt these things too? Every one of them. I don't know that I helped her, but I sure made her feel like she had company. <laughs> and here Paul gives us an insight into what made him tick. I don't know what you believe about this. suppose it doesn't make all that much difference. I, I have an idea that, that Paul was talking about himself. I really don't think there's much doubt about it. And there's such a, it was such an otherworldly experience that Paul um, sort of talked about it in the third person. It was, so, uh, it was so unique and so mystical, and he wanted to stand in awe of it. And uh, I think I checked that uh, 14 years prior to this would, might have put him back in his missionary journey when he had that uh, experience of some rejection, and uh, they stoned him. And you know, a fellow had got a feeling that somebody didn't want him around uh, if he wasn't careful, and could come off of that with a rejection complex. Uh, now, the fact is, I think that Paul may have had one of those experiences in which clinically he might have been examined and, and, and said to have been dead. That's not out of reason, but you don't have to believe that. But nevertheless, he, he had some sort of vision, some sort of experience that was strange and mystical. And uh, if this was true, they, they left him under a pile of rocks. I don't know whether anybody thought to examine him or not. Uh, you, you didn't uh, survive stonings in those days. They just didn't throw pea gravel at you, you know. They, they picked up boulders the size of, a, of your head or bigger and, and threw them and bones were broken and, and uh, the skin was slashed and, and uh, the, the whole bit. And, and there he was under a pile of rocks. And everybody left. And there was a pile of rocks. And directly a, there's a move underneath and one rock tumbles down. And directly this little fellow shrivels uh, out from under the rock and stands up and brushes himself off and, and heads back into town. <laughs> now, you know, there have been a lot of theories about what is wrong with Paul. We don't know. Folks that feel like God has to heal everybody or can't be God say, uh, uh, well, it couldn't be physical. It couldn't be an illness. I, I suppose it could. If God wanted it to be, it could. In fact, you better not tell God he can't do anything. Uh, he'll turn around and do it just to spite you, just to prove you wrong. And uh, he'd had a tremendous experience. God had given him revelation. God uh, was following through with intentions to use him as a chosen vessel. And this was not only going not to, uh, not to uh, thwart God's purpose, it was going to enrich it. And Paul had been to the other side and had seen glories that he couldn't describe. I'd heard revelations that he couldn't repeat. And uh, I, I have this feeling that one reason for that was God knew what was ahead for Paul. And uh, he had to give Paul such a spiritual vision that his physical vision, what his eyes saw and his ears heard, would never override what he knew to be true by faith, what he knew to be true spiritually. You know, after all, that, that's where we have to get. To where what eyes see and ears hear and senses uh, inform us.
never overwhelms what we know by spiritual revelation. So Paul would be subject to beatings and shipwrecks and would be cast in every kind of role and would live out the last days of his life in a prison cell and then give in to, uh, uh, to, the, uh, to the guillotine to be beheaded. But he never allowed, never allowed what he saw spiritually to override, uh, to be overridden by the physical. And so when he came back, God fixed him. I want to tell you, God's out to fix you. Do you know it? In fact, right now, he's got you in the circumstances of his own choosing so he can fix you. Somebody told me this week, I think this is a gem. God's fixing to fix you. But if you try to fix the fix, he's fixing to fix you with. He'll find another fix to fix you until you let the fix he's fixed for you fix you. God is fixing to fix you. Now, I want to say three things about this passage that reveals to me and to us the strength of weakness. What a paradox. The strength of weakness. You see, God has to get us weak in our own minds before the truths of identification are ever precious. I dare anybody here who's come to find these truths experientially to come and tell me that you found them in another place than at the end of yourself in pure despair, at least of some sort or another. And I've had many people come say to me, is this where you have to get to find it? I think so. I think so. God just has to do more with others than, than with some. Before I get into this too deeply, let me just give you an illustration of the other side of this, of the weakness of strength. Do you remember the case of Uzziah? you remember much about him? If he hadn't wound up his uh, life in a cloud, under a cloud of, of shame and doubt, if the last years of his life hadn't been a tragedy, he would have been classed probably at least second or third to Solomon as far as greatness was concerned. And uh, why he built great public works and great weapons of war and had a phenomenally long and fruitful and effective ministry. In fact, if you'll read in your Bible after, after we're through tonight, you look it up, you will find some striking words. The Bible says, for instance, in one place, he was marvelously helped until he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. He came to reign as a teenage lad. Had no sense, had to depend on the Lord, but after a while got smart. Started looking around him and said, look what I've done. Look at all these public works and look at all these mighty armies and look at all this, this great reign of mine. And one day he took a, a censer and walked in where priests only were supposed to go and with that pride swelling into presumption, he walked in and violated the holy place and God smote him with cancer, with, with uh, leprosy. Might as well have been cancer. And, uh, and he lived out the rest of his life under the cloud of that shame uh, in a little cottage. The victim of what? Strength. 
not weakness, strength. And his was the case of the weakness of strength. And now let's look at Paul's, the strength of weakness. I want to say three things. First of all, the strength of weakness commences with brokenness. Commences with brokenness. I have an idea, I've never known it to be otherwise, that every person who begins a new life somehow enters that new life through the brokenness of the old life. And the biggest task God has with most of us is to get us to that place where we can thoroughly disclaim any trust in ourselves and bring us to total trust in the Lord. It begins with brokenness. Now, I don't know how that brokenness has come or is coming with you, but God knows how best to bring us to and keep us at the point of brokenness. I don't know about you, I have my suspicions, but I have an idea that, uh, that you're like me. God has to keep me next door to failure. He has to keep me in the suburbs of failure to keep me mindful of who I am and in whom I must trust. And the greatest minister in my life is the minister of difficulty and trouble. I mean, I've not checked with you. I generally check with crowds before I preach this sermon, but uh, it, it just seems like the last couple of years, all hell's broken loose in my life. And uh, all of it seems to be engineered of the Lord. Well, I've had times in the past couple of years where, I, you know, I wondered if anything in the gospel was working. I, I, if, I'd have, if I could have made a choice, I'd have called in every book I'd ever written. I've said nothing's working. I felt, I really felt akin to the old Quaker one day who was being honest with the Lord. And he told him, he said, Lord, I'm not amazed that you have as few friends as you have. <laughs> from the way you treat the ones you've got. I mean, if you, if you didn't understand what God was after, uh, you couldn't get along. And if we're not careful, we will turn on the very things and the people engineered and called of God into our lives to get us ready for the fullness of life. We'll turn on those very things and refuse the very things that are geared for our victory. And that's what I mean. God's fixing to fix you. But if you try to fix what he's fixing you with, he'll just find something else to fix you with. You see? Now, I want to tell you something. You're going to, if you're saved, you're going to wind up like Jesus one way or another. It'll be just a whole lot easier if you'll cooperate. You say, well, if God would just not use so-and-so. You know, if God just take her away and use somebody else, I, I could suggest. Or if God would just move me from here and take me some other place so I can have new surroundings while he does it. Now, I won't tell you tonight, God has placed you exactly where he wants you and put around you just exactly those who can make you, who can, who can make you like Christ quicker than anybody in the earth. And as long as you have some favorite contingencies, you know, like, well, if I could just find the church that would really recognize my abilities for what they are. If, if, I, if, if my wife would just come to appreciate what she's got. If, if my husband would just understand what a bargain he got when he got me. If, if, if my pastor would just understand. 
Contingencies, contingencies. Well, now Paul could have very easily come to that. He said, Lord, you know, I, I'm in a fix. I'm in terrible pain. I believe if you'd take this thing away, I can make you a better hand. In fact, he just got desperate about it. He said, Lord, I, I don't believe I can go on with this thing. Lord, this is awful. Lord, you've just got to do this for me. You ever got that way? You ever prayed a prayer and missed God a mile? Paul did. He was honest about it. He said, I prayed, oh Lord, take this thing away from me. That's the normal thing for a human being to pray. If you're in trouble, take away the trouble. But that may not be the will of God. It may be that you're to linger in that trouble until all is done in you that that trouble was delivered to you to deliver you from. And Paul prayed. He prayed thrice, says says the Bible, and that could be, a, that could be just a, a, a word used for, I prayed a multiple of times. I prayed over a period of a long time, and God didn't answer my prayer. I kept on praying day after day and day after day. It became paramount in my mind. It became a fixation to me, and I, I had problems. And God said, uh, Paul, in effect, I'm not going to give you what you're asking for, because you already have what you need. And I think he was saying this. I've let you get where you are so you could find out that all you need is myself. And you'd have never found it if I hadn't put you there. So Paul, I, I've geared these circumstances to bring you absolutely and to keep you at the end of yourself. So that every day may, the, may be the beginning of myself in you. And, and I'll tell you something else. I wish it were so, and sometimes I'm afraid I have in the past said, now look, if you'll just enter into the truths of identification, if you'll just do it, and that'll be a glorious experience, and, uh, and you just go right on, and that'll be, that'll be uh, you know, all honey, no bees, no work, all these, and down the freeway of life, never having to make a left turn. And, uh, <laughs> boy, I didn't find that to be true, have you? And I'll tell you something else I'm finding out. That uh, I can very easily be out on the cutting edge of the ministry God has given me and forget the distinct message that he gave me to give in application in my own life. And I've had to go back in late months and rehearse and review everything I ever found out about the life of identification with Jesus. I think I know what the writer of Hebrews meant when he said, Brethren, we ought to pay the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest we pass them by. You don't get so mature that you don't need to come back to that day-by-day, moment-by-moment identification with Him. He is your life. He is your life now. And only as you continue reckoning and continue reckoning death to sin, but a life un indeed unto God, you get away from that five minutes and you're away from it. And so I want to say the second thing. Not only does this strength of weakness uh, commence with brokenness, but it continues with bafflement. Now, friend, I, I thought when I first came into that, this life, boy, you know, this is going to be good because I'm going to be able to tell folks from the standpoint of somebody who's discovered something and, and it's just going to be wonderful. But I, uh, it's not been that way. It seems to me like I've just sort of been a fellow struggler reporting on, uh, on the struggle. And uh, not minding that near so much as I thought it would. 
Now, Paul was experiencing some, uh, some uneasiness. In fact, there were, uh, there were bafflements in three areas. One, there was the bafflement of unalleviated suffering. You suffering, any of you? Got things in your family, or things in your finances, or things in your personal life that uh, are just not working out that easy. You're in a, on the horns of a dilemma. Well, just be still. Paul knew what distress was. And if you and I walk with God, we'll know what distress is. And if you think that Christian joy is this light little frivolous uh, uh, light talk, uh, and, and I sometimes, I'm all for praising the Lord. I, you know, I think we ought to praise the Lord all the time, but I believe I've heard folks who are praising the Lord just to keep them cussing. <laughs> I think there are a lot of folks who are intending to express joy who are expressing a light little silly frivolousness. Now the fruit of the Spirit is joy, not silliness. And I want to tell you, there will be times when your heart is so broken, when there's so much heaviness, that you'll despair of your life. How are you going to figure that out? And if you don't have a theology that includes a legitimate darkness when God ministers to you by withdrawing His conscious presence, you're going to break up. Bafflement. Somebody had the nerve the other day sit at a table in front of me. She said, you know, my wife and I were talking the other day and she said, honey, she said, you know, we've got lots of problems. I said, wonder, wonder why... You can't have a life like Jack Taylor. He, he just runs around preaching all over the country, never has any problems, never has any trouble. I said, friend, do you have about three hours? <laughs> Baffled by unalleviated suffering. I believe it's necessary. You know, I, when this began to happen in my life, I must have been come upon by the Spirit because I, I prayed three things. I didn't have sense enough to pray. He had to have prayed them. One, I prayed and remember praying, Lord, don't ever let me go back. Don't ever let me back up. In fact, I prayed if I ever try to back up, if I ever try to get out of what, I get, what I'm getting into, whatever it is, uh, don't answer my prayer. If I ever pray a prayer contrary to the one I'm praying now, don't answer it. Now, that'll lock you in, you see. It fixes you up. And the second thing I prayed was, let me see whatever this is, because, you know, we weren't, uh, we, we weren't discussing it then, even enough to get in the fuss over it. I mean, God began to do a work in me before I knew what to call it. You know, we're so divisive and so sensitive now, if you don't call it the right thing, forget it, you know. Well, frankly, I'd rather hear somebody call it the wrong thing and have the right thing than call it the right thing and not have anything. I mean, we're altogether too sensitive about religious terms. I cried help and God understood and gave me what I didn't even know that. That's good of God, isn't it? Baffled by unalleviated suffering. Baffled through supplication. Any of you been praying a prayer God's not answering? 
Don't you happen you will? I can't get him to listen to some of the best suggestions I've got. <laughs> Unanswered. Unanswered supplication. I've written in one of my Bibles, We're so weak, so ignorant, so blind, that did not God in His mercy refuse some of the things we plead for. We would be ruined by our own request. I prayed for something one time for six months, passionately. I tried every tool I'd ever, I'd ever learned about how to manipulate God. You know, believe it was when it wasn't so it could be. Thank Him for it before it came so He'd be obligated to give it. I tried everything. He didn't do it. And it took six months for me to find out if He had have done it, it would have ruined me completely. Isn't that something? Folks, I don't know about you, but I'm just as grateful for some of the prayers God didn't answer as for some He has. Now, he had another problem. He not only had the bafflement of unalleviated suffering and the bafflement of, of uh, the matter of his own prayers being unanswered, but he knew something he couldn't tell. I don't know how many... You know, I, I'm a little uneasy. I, I skip across some lines denominationally, and, and uh, uh, I'm a little sensitive about this because of the sensitivity of people. You know, I can almost tell a Baptist because he'll sit in the group and he'll say, Oh my goodness, I, I've got a problem. I don't know whether this fellow's a Methodist, Episcopalian, uh, or a Presbyterian, you know. And it takes a little while for us to ease up. Baptists are the worst in the world. But... Uh, I mean, it's a good thing we're not going to run heaven. We'd have it divided before the week was out. Uh, you know, eastern heaven, western heaven, northern heaven, southern heaven. Have it so organized, folks couldn't enjoy it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the first thing we think that we ought to do when God tells us something is run off and tell everybody we can find. Now, that, this frustrated Baptist preacher, death for God to tell him something and then say, don't tell anybody. The bafflement of unrepeatable revelation. My, my. Saw things unlawful for a man to utter. Heard things not legitimate for a man to share. How about that? Let me tell you something. God will tell you some things that are for no other purpose than to prepare your character to suffer quietly in the name of Jesus. When by speaking, you might deliver yourself illegitimately. This question hurt. You learn more about Savior. You learn more about the Savior in thirty minutes of hurting than you will in thirty days of happiness. And I'm absolutely convinced, folks. I, I can't tell you why I believe this, but I believe that God is moving today to get God's people ready for days of suffering. And if He doesn't do it, we'll not even have a point of reference. Most people are going to break down and run off. Bafflement. Well, He... Uh, found the strength of weakness to commence with brokenness and continue with bafflement. But you know something else? He found that the strength of weakness always consummates in victory. 
The amazing thing about that victory was that it happened and there was no change in the circumstances. You see, somehow you're going to have to convince the folks you're counseling with that it doesn't take a change in circumstances to bring victory. And Paul found the victory. Let's trace that victory uh, in, these, uh, in these last moments. He heard from God, prayed till he heard from God. And I suppose he didn't hear what he had first choice to hear. And probably you won't either. The Lord didn't give him what he asked for, just informed him that he already had what he needed. And this is what he said, Paul, my grace is all you need. Now notice that Paul didn't pit his intelligence against God, and that's our trouble most of the time. We want a logic with God. We want to, we want to set ourselves to inform God of some things he surely hadn't thought of. But when Paul heard this statement, My grace is all you need, surely those words rang in his soul. All you need, all you need, all you need, all you need, all you need. And Paul said, Well, if that's the case, I'll rejoice in my infirmities. But the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, necessities, and oppositions, and distresses. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Look at it, look at it. The victory of abounding grace, abounding grace. God said, my grace is, that, that's enough. You ought to have somewhere in your home a plaque or somewhere, somewhere in your mind one little word that rings every time, every time there's a need, every time there's a, every time there's a difficulty, every time there's a call for which you do not have the strength to answer. Is, is, God is now, His grace is now, abounding grace. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is. It was, is, and is, is, and always will be, is. It is. Abounding grace. Now there is a principle. You see, grace is abounding. But it is only being experienced aboundingly in those who come to discover the vital principle of the strength of weakness. For you will never know his strength. Until you've come to be convinced of your weakness. Terrible thing to have to remind folks, and there's some smart folks here. Some of you with doctor's degree. And, and as the world would rate people, I mean, you're way above the average. If anybody can handle anything, you ought, but you can't. I don't care how well you do the job men have assigned you to do. You don't have it when it comes to serving God. You're in another field. You don't have the first thing to do it with. You're inept. You don't have it. You can't cut it. You're weak. It'd be a whole lot better if you'd just believe that and go on rather than fight it. I don't know why it ought to break your jaw to admit you don't have it. When it didn't bother Jesus as he spoke and said, Men, I want you to understand something. 
The things that I do, I can't do of myself. I just do what I see God doing. It works. And the things I do, the things I say, I can't do anything by myself. I just listen to the Father and repeat what I hear. And my judgment is always what it ought to be. Now, if Jesus, who operated as a human being plus holy God, could admit that as a human being I don't have it, why ought it to break your jaw to admit it? Why don't you just say, God, you know, I I don't have it. I don't have it. You know why we need to come to, you know, there are two, two great uh, uh, advertisements. One is the uh, advertisement is it hurts when uh, the superstar O.J. Simpson's running through the airport, running through the airport. But boy, did, is it Avis came along with the other one. Here's this fellow that's a little overweight and hadn't run, and he's running through the airport. And somebody stops him and says, you don't have to run through the airport. And he said. I don't have to run through airports. I don't have to run through airports. Let down the mask. God knows. It won't hurt anybody else to find out. They won't think less of you. It might surprise you that they'll think more of you. Get off the perch. Step down from the pedestal. God, I can't. But you can. It'll all depend on your response at this moment. God may keep you where you are, a place you don't particularly like, because it's reminded you of weaknesses. And up against people who remind you of your weaknesses. And in situations that will always prod you, prod you. That's what Paul had all of his life. Evidently, never got rid of it. Uh, if you're going to take the Bible literally, he had an angel of the devil with him all the time, buffeting him, punching him, bothering him. By the time he got ready to rest and relax, punch him, bothering him. New word. Trouble broken out here. Difficulty there. Drive you to despair, unless you understand. And listen to him. He said, listen, God, if what you told me was true, I rejoice in my infirmities because my infirmities mean that my negative is your positive I'm weak you're strong strength and weakness fit together right well I'll provide the weakness you provide the strength praise God therefore I will rejoice now listen listen to these five divisions I'll rejoice in my infirmity in my reproaches in my necessities in my opposition. And in my distresses. Let me, let me just give you a little homework tonight. May I? Would you, sometime tonight or early in the morning, think over everything in your life you would like to get rid of, if you could. Uh, circumstances slip into the ideal. Um, and uh, right, right across the top of the page, the four uh, divisions, they, uh, the five divisions, they're a little different in some of the versions, but you will understand what they are. You know, uh, weaknesses are areas where you wish you had strength to cope, but you don't. Um, reproaches are things and people who stand to oppose you, you know, and necessities are things you have to do, you wish you didn't have to do. Um, just put all of them down, but, but categorize them under those five distresses. Do you have some area where you're just experiencing plain distress? 
Right, really? Well, put that down too. And then, then stop a minute and, uh, and try to think of one thing that uh, you're experiencing that doesn't fit under one of those five categories. Try to think of one thing. Now, as far as I'm concerned, you can't. There won't be anything there in your life you can't put under one of those categories. And that being true, why don't you just say to the Lord, Well, Lord, here they all are on both sides. Well, that's a bunch. But Lord, I believe I've got more trouble now than before I entered into these truths. But Lord, I thank you that you won't even let the devil do anything that will thwart me if I obey you. And I won't praise you that within the context of prayer, I know that all things work together for them, uh, for good to them that love the Lord. So Lord, I'd like to just take this little problem in my life and, you know, I've tolerated it and, and I've, I've forgiven you for letting me have it, but I've never praised you. I've never just hauled off and said, well, praise God for this bit of difficulty. Hallelujah for my neighbor and just about to wear me out. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that person in my life that has the uncanny gift of rubbing me wrong every time they open their mouth. Praise God. Praise the Lord for, for issues at work that just seem to torment me. Lord, I praise you that you're in the process of fixing me. And I want the fix you put me in to fix me. I don't want to try to get in another fix to revise your fixing. So, Lord, I just want to praise you. I was uh, last week in Lubbock. And uh, a young man who years ago entered into the truth called me from nearby and said, I need to talk with you. <clears throat> and he sat down in my room, uh, first in the coffee shop and then for another hour in the room. And for about three hours, poured out a tale of woe. Rebellious child, trouble in a little community with gossip, episodes of misunderstanding with neighbors and friends, estrangement from a pastor, uh, illness in his own life, illness with his wife, problems financially. I mean, you couldn't think of one that he didn't have. And... Uh, When he got through, I said, uh, I called him by name. I said, uh, you know, God's, God must really count you special. He said, what do you mean? I said, uh, to trust you with so many things that are geared to bring you into more Christ-likeness so he could minister through you. Had to snatch him back from death, literally. And uh, I said, you know what you're going to have to do. I said, I, I doubt if God's going to change any one of these circumstances. May never some of them, but He's certainly not going to change any of them until what they've been brought into your life to do, you have allowed them to do. And you know what you're going to have to do? 
you're going to have to say thanks for everything that's on the table. He said, everything? I said, yeah, everything. You're going to have to praise God that you've got just half a stomach left. to praise God for a wife whose convalescence seems to be dragging. You have to praise God that somehow he's using even rebellion in your teenager to do a work in you and in your whole family. I said, I want to remind you of something. Joseph was the victim of a whole lot of injustice. But every time he got kicked, he got kicked up. Because he learned to praise in every circumstance. And when he was prime minister of Egypt and revealed himself to his brothers, he said two things. It wasn't you, it was God. It wasn't bad, it was good. And that was his deliverance. And that'll be yours. I want to tell you, I looked at his countenance. He was defeated. He was broken. He was downcast. I'd never seen anybody more downcast. Defeat written on every line of his face. We got on our knees. He prayed. I wasn't satisfied with his prayer. I said, we're going to come back and pray again. We had to go on to a service. We came back. And I said, now, I want you to pray. And I don't want you... I don't want you just to moan and complain to God. I want you to praise Him for everything you've complained about. I want you to thank Him. I want you to accept the ministry of this as God shaping you, bringing you to the end of yourself, that Christ may be your everything. And so uh, He did. I, we, I, he wasn't going to leave till He did. There at the end of the bed in the motel room, He one by one enumerated those things that had been his nemesis, got off his knees, praising God. Amen. My friend, there is a vital principle in the strength of weakness. Commences in brokenness. Continues in bafflement. Always consummates in victory. The victory of abounding grace and abounding strength. But isn't this the gospel we preach? Don't we say, come ye sinners, poor and needy, lost and ruined by the fall. If you wait until you're better, you'll never come at all. Why don't you come to him just like you were taught to come to him first? And say, Lord, you know it hasn't changed. I'm as weak as I was the first day I found it. And so I want to praise you for trouble. I want to praise you for trials. Want to praise you for weakness. Want to praise you for oppositions. Want to praise you in everything. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for the life that is Jesus Christ. I want to thank you that the Christian life is not some souped up version of man's life, but it's altogether a new life. A life that never fails. And so, Lord, I want to know day by day what it is to implement the fullness of the message. For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ, 
In Jesus' name. Amen.